everybody. Welcome to OK Talks. I'm your host, Oliver Kendall. I'm a lifelong political nerd with an academic background in international relations focused on security policy and real-world experience working in the U.S. domestic political space and living in a number of other countries than my own, all of which combined, I think, positions me fairly well both to interpret for my international audience what's going on in the politics of my own country and to shed light for some of the folks back home on some events of note going on in the rest of the world. So I'm going to try and keep this kind of brief. I'm traveling, which means both that I don't have my usual mic, so I assume the sound quality will kind of suck, and I don't want to subject you to that longer than necessary. And also there's quite a bit more ambient noise than usual. Um, I'm in North Africa right now, and the call to prayer literally started during my first take, so... That being said, though, there are two very big pieces of news over the last day or so that I want to weigh in on. I often frame episodes of this podcast as to whether or not something is, in my estimation, good for democracy, and, well, the fact that Tucker Carlson is out and Joe Biden is in most certainly is. Books could and probably will be written about the damage Tucker Carlson has done to American democracy and Western civilization more broadly. Various journalists and comedians have already done deeper dives on this man than I'm going to do here, but I'm just going to share a couple of top-line points to frame why I'm so happy that this man, after being fired from MSNBC and CNN, has now apparently been deemed too toxic even for the dangerous, immoral, journalistically bankrupt right-wing propaganda network that is Fox News. I really don't want to say the word news there because what Fox News does really shouldn't be described as news, but... As I don't want to tar the entertainment side of Fox, which is, as I understand it, fairly separate and has given the world the great gift of The Simpsons and, even more importantly, Family Guy. Yes, I said it. Family Guy is better than The Simpsons. Come at me. At least for this episode, I'm going to just go with Fox News. Tucker Carlson got a primetime show on Fox News when Bill O'Reilly was finally pushed out after his habit of calling random unsuspecting women while jacking off, among many other rather inappropriate behaviors— Google it, a lot of results are going to come up, became too much for even Fox News, where grabbing the ass of unwilling female employees was something akin to a national sport. Once he got on the air at 8, Tucker immediately began pushing boundaries beyond the point where even Fox News had pushed them before, except maybe during the reign of the delusional, weepy conspiracy theorist Glenn Beck back in the early 2010s. Unfortunately, in doing so he's probably had a bigger impact on the ideological evolution of the American right than any single human being with the possible exception of Donald Trump, specifically bringing viewpoints that had previously been considered gross and beyond the pale, even for the modern Republican Party, into the mainstream, as far as the Republican Party can be considered mainstream. There are a number of different issues where Tucker has had an impact. Again, books will be written about the damage this man has done, and Actually, frankly, probably already have been, which I would know more about if I wasn't on vacation and thus had time to properly research for this episode. Sorry. But for now, I'm going to focus in on two of the issue areas where Carlson has done the most damage. The first is on race and immigration, like the idea of diversity in America. You may or may not have heard of the Great Replacement Theory. Consider yourself lucky if you haven't. This is another one on which entire books are surely written, but I'll just summarize it quickly here. Versions of this theory have been bandied about by hardcore anti-immigration activists in various places, 
But in the U.S. version of this theory, the theory basically suggests that some shadowy cabal of elites are attempting to replace white Americans with non-white immigrants for various reasons, most obviously to help Democrats win elections. I do find it kind of tragically comical that these folks apparently do in fact have the self-awareness to conclude that most non-white people probably wouldn't want to vote for their party. Although, sidebar, if the Democratic Party aren't careful, we're going to make this less true by alienating working-class voters of all ethnicities, as trends indicate, and I've hinted at in previous episodes. See specifically episode 29. So where did Carlson come into this? Well, this sort of racist garbage has always existed in America, but until fairly recently, even hardcore anti-immigrant Republican politicians tended to not go all out and make this argument when opposing immigration. Which, to be fair, is a legitimately complicated issue. But Tucker Carlson has done yeoman's work to bring really dehumanizing, gross, often racially tinged arguments against immigration, including replacement theory, uh, out of the shadows of 8chan and the Daily Stormer and into the Republican mainstream. Here's a taste. An unrelenting stream of immigration. But why? Well, Joe Biden just said it to change the racial mix of the country. That's the reason, to reduce the political power of people whose ancestors lived here and dramatically increase the proportion of Americans newly arrived from the third world. And another. Political terms, this policy is called the Great Replacement, the replacement of legacy Americans with more obedient people from faraway countries. I've heard it reported various times over the past couple of years that like actual out-of-the-closet white supremacist types frequently like build their talking points off of stuff from Tucker Carlson's show because he was just better at making their arguments than they are. But unfortunately, the impact of the Great Replacement Theory moving into the mainstream has gone way beyond just some clan types being able to spit out slightly better rhetoric through their remaining teeth. A number of the mass shootings over the last few years have specifically targeted ethnic minority groups and have been carried out by people who published manifestos saying that they, for example, drove hours to a heavily populated Latino neighborhood in Texas to shoot up a Walmart there because they were fighting a race war started by bringing in non-white people to replace them or something. And one more thing, here's Tucker again. Instead, our leaders demand that you shut up and accept this. We have a moral obligation to admit the world's poor, they tell us, even if it makes our own country poorer and dirtier and more divided. Now, besides what he said there being incredibly xenophobic, there is another thing to catch in that clip. Tucker frequently uses the you versus them language with his audience. The Great Replacement Theory is a conspiracy theory, so obviously there's a nefarious they behind it all. Remember that Nazi-palooza Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville in 2017? The one where Trump said there were very good people, okay, very good people on both sides. Remember what those people with the tiki torches were chanting at that rally? As far as I know, Tucker himself has never come out and said this, but according to hardcore adherents of the Great Replacement Theory, who are the they that are somehow orchestrating the replacement? Drumroll please, it's the Jews. Duh. I mean, who else but the go-to scapegoat in every ridiculous conspiracy theory ever invented, as my visit to comparatively liberal Tunisia has tragically reminded me. Tucker himself may not have been marching in Charlottesville with a tiki torch chanting, Jews will not replace us, 
But he's done more than any other person in America to bring this vicious conspiracy theory, equal parts xenophobia and anti-Semitism, into the mainstream. With deadly consequences, from the terrorist mass shootings targeting Latinos in El Paso, to the one in Buffalo targeting black people, to the Tree of Life synagogue shooting in 2018. Appropriately enough, the trial for that particular shooter appears to have started the same day that the news broke that Carlson is out at Fox, so karma, I guess? Another issue where Tucker and his show have had a really profound impact when it comes to bringing previously fringe ideas into the mainstream of the American political right is on Russia. Donald Trump is famous for having been placed in the White House with the help of Russian intelligence agencies and then once there, acting wittingly or unwittingly as a fully compromised asset for the Kremlin. But since Trump has been out of office, it's been Tucker that's been Putin's best friend in America, pumping an endless stream of bullshit Russian propaganda into conservative households every night for an hour from America's most-watched cable news show. He is the modern-day equivalent of members of the American far-right who shilled for Adolf Hitler right up until December 7, 1941. From his platform, Tucker has called Vladimir Zelensky, a person who reasonable human beings recognize as a bona fide hero leading a country of other heroes fighting on the front lines of the war to preserve liberal democracy in the face of Russian aggression, a, quote, thug, unquote. He's attacked Zelensky personally a lot, along with Ukraine itself. He's downplayed the vicious Russian genocide against the Ukrainian people as a, quote, border dispute, unquote. He's come straight out and said that he hopes Russia wins and constantly defends and shills for Vladimir Putin on his show. There are a ton of individual examples that I could draw on here, but I'll just summarize by saying that Tucker Carlson has worked tirelessly to mainstream a weak, anti-democracy, isolationist approach to American foreign policy that is increasingly gaining ground in today's Republican Party. For more on that, uh, go have a look at episode 33 of this show. Bottom line, if you present yourself as a flag-waving, rah-rah American patriot, but Russian government-run propaganda outlets frequently replace their own content with large segments of your TV show with subtitles in Cyrillic for consumption by the Russian domestic audience, as has again happened very often with Tucker, ask yourself why that might be the case. There is much more to say about the profound damage that Tucker Carlson has done to America, outstripping even the very stiff competition presented by the other disgraceful scum at Fox News. But in summary, this man, the father Coughlin of our times, not being on the air for an hour every night to pump pro-Russia, white supremacist, anti-democracy, pro-January 6th insurrection content into millions of American homes is a very, very good thing. And now we come to the second piece of very good news to come out in the last 24 hours, at least if you're a fan of American democracy and liberal Western civilization. But first, hey, hi, me here breaking the fourth wall. Have you subscribed to the show yet? If not, go do it. I promise I won't make you regret it. And if you have, you're not done either. That algorithm I keep mentioning is a powerful beast and every little bit helps to get this into more people's ears. So please, please go leave a review, click like or whatever it is. Share the show on social media or with folks you think might get something out of it. Sorry, gotta do it. So then back to it. What is that second piece of very good news? Joe Biden is running for re-election. I know, he's old. He's not a very charismatic speaker. He has a relatively low approval rating. But the fact that he has a relatively low approval rating says a hell of a lot more about how easily misled and distracted the average American voter is than it does about Biden. 
because he is easily the most effective president the United States has had since 1968, possibly since 1944. As an example of short memories, when Biden took power on January 20th, 2021, he was doing so after a transition period in which there was no, you know, transition. There was no cooperation at all from the previous administration. Just for the record, I know I'm making this sound a bit run-of-the-mill, but it's actually a huge deal. Like, that doesn't happen. Of course, this is also a period which included an attempted coup d'etat inspired by his predecessor. Despite this, Biden was able, once taking office, to roll out a very effective vaccine campaign. You may recall there was actually some sort of pandemic thing going on at the time. He was also able to get a massive bill passed within like a month of taking office, a bill which shored up various extremely important healthcare resources when we most needed them, and also took a huge swing at the various uh, negative economic impacts of the pandemic, like uh, stuff around unemployment, mitigating the damage done to education and public transport sectors that we would need afterward. And ultimately, the bill had a huge impact in a number of different areas, particularly in lowering child poverty. Within his first year in office, Biden also managed to get a massive investment in modernizing America's crumbling infrastructure, easily the biggest investment in this since the 1950s, and one that laid the groundwork for a substantially greener future. Worth noting that he also did this in a way that involved fairly substantial bipartisan support, which is, again, rather a huge deal in this day and age. On the domestic front, Congress under Biden also passed huge investments in the semiconductor industry, which not only does important work to make America more self-reliant vis-a-vis a really vital technology, it also has the side benefit of creating tons of high-tech manufacturing jobs. They also passed what I believe was the largest ever investment in green energy, and at least finally started the long task of rebalancing America's tax system, which massively favors the wealthy and corporations. Though it obviously didn't go far enough, Congress passed, also on a bipartisan basis, again a rather huge deal, the first gun reform in decades. Now, I keep saying here, Congress did something. Again, this is the thing I'm saying that sounds like a routine thing that you know, Congress just does as a matter of course. But in reality, this reflects the incredible skill, patience, persistence, and experience that Biden brings to this job. When Obama became president, he was swept into office with like a 50-seat majority in the House, and at least for a short period of time, a 60-seat filibuster-proof majority in the Senate. And they got a lot done. Not as much as a lot of us hoped, particularly in my own case in the area of government reform. If you're curious what I'm talking about, go check out my For the People episodes of this podcast somewhere around episode 12, I believe. But they did, to be fair. They got a lot done. By contrast, Biden has had to operate with razor-thin margins in Congress. The Democrats barely held the House by like five seats in the 2020 elections. I will skip most of the rant about why I think we did so badly. Hints of that are sprinkled throughout various episodes of this podcast, where I give side-eye at extreme-left congresspeople catering to constituents in super-blue districts and thus undercutting the messaging of the entire rest of the party. <laughs> but, you know, okay. Bottom line... Democrats barely held the House and, by, frankly, a miracle, managed to get a tie in the Senate in 2020. Thus tying back to, again, Biden managing to get things done despite razor-thin majorities. The fact that all this important legislation got passed under his first term despite having a majority in the House that you can count on one hand and a tie in the Senate that includes two Democrats who... Uh, really barely count as Democrats, one of them actually officially isn't anymore, see episode 31 of this show, is amazing. I don't think I'm going out on a limb here and saying that 
had probably any other of the like 90 Democratic presidential candidates in the primary in 2021, this wouldn't have happened. Besides the fact that they might have just lost to Trump, these successes of the Biden presidency come from the fact that Joe Biden himself is a man of the Senate, someone who spent decades as a legislator who, you know, knows how a bill becomes a law. Someone who knows how to take an idea, make the right deals and compromises and relationships to get it through Congress, rather than just making grand moral pronouncements about the way things should be, because hypothetically we should all get along, or because other developed countries do it that way. Three guesses as to which two people I'm talking about there. Outside of legislation, a number of very important domestic achievements around important priorities like climate and electric vehicles, etc., guns, um, just generally streamlining the government, student loan debt, etc., have also been addressed through executive orders. On the international front, Biden has also done incredibly important work to start the long process of repairing the damage done by having, well, an erratic, egomaniacal, ignorant, easily manipulated self-obsessed, corrupt, venal, narcissistic Russian asset running the most powerful country in the world. Biden brought America back into the Paris Climate Accords and the World Health Organization. Yes, Trump tried to pull the U.S. out of the WHO. Biden reassured our allies and started the process of shoring up NATO, which I think we can all agree it proved rather important. Yes, there was the black eye of the hasty and messy pullout from Afghanistan, which I'm privately still on the fence as to whether or not we should have even done, but the reality is that the groundwork for this disaster was laid by the Trump administration having signed a surrender deal with the Taliban. Seriously, the guy wanted to bring the leaders of the Taliban to Camp David on 9-11. True story. On the other hand, the Biden administration's response to the Russian attack on Ukraine has been nothing short of genius. That same experience, patience, persistence, and coalition building that's been so helpful getting legislation through has also been critical to the coordinated defense of Ukraine and of democracy more broadly. I go into this way more in a few episodes back, so I'll skip the details here, but suffice it to say that without Joe Biden in the Oval Office, well, it's very likely that the Ukrainian situation would be a whole lot worse and Tucker Carlson would be a whole lot happier. It's going to be a tough campaign in 2024. Biden is getting up there, and apparently people don't find him very exciting. But I desperately, desperately hope that Democratic voters, particularly young people and the progressive activist type, have learned something from the last few years, or rather are reminded of something that we should all already know by a brief examination of American history over the last century or so. The most effective liberal changemakers have not been those who ran as flashy, young, progressive outsiders coming in to shake things up. Yes, Kennedy and Obama were exciting, and they were good presidents overall, who did important things. But you know who better presidents were? Roosevelt. Johnson. Yes, Biden. All institutionalists who presented as pragmatists and leveraged deep experience to get big, important things done. I often analogize Biden to Johnson, and then tell people to go watch the brilliant HBO movie All the Way, which gives a phenomenal demonstration of how an experienced president can wield power in Washington. Brian Cranston is excellent as LBJ. Go check it out. Johnson had extensive legislative experience before serving as the VP under a charismatic young Democratic president. And then, despite Johnson being way less charismatic and exciting as a person, got frankly, quite a bit more done as president than the guy he served under. So, yes, Biden is like a modern-day Lyndon Johnson. 
one who does not make his staff come into the bathroom and talk to him while he takes a dump, <laughs> at least as far as we know. In all seriousness, Biden is, by all accounts, one of the best human beings to have been in Washington for a long time. He's also, more importantly, an unbelievably good president, and also, as it increasingly looks like Trump is going to be the nominee again in 2024, Biden is almost certainly the Democrat best position to beat him. So, bottom line, Tucker Carlson's out, Joe Biden's in. This is a damn good day if you care about the future of American democracy and liberal Western civilization. Well, didn't manage to keep that quite as short as I hoped, but that's it for this episode of OK Talks. I hope you liked the episode despite all the background noise, and if so, please subscribe, like the show, leave a review, share it with people, etc. I know you're sick of hearing me beg, but it really does all help. Uh, as always, I'd like to thank my friend Nate Wright for having designed the podcast artwork, and you for listening. 